If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 32 and verse 10. Genesis 32 and verse 10. Reading from the English Standard Version, Jacob is speaking to God in prayer. He's on his way home after spending 20 years in what is probably today uh, called modern-day Syria. And he's on his way home back to the land of Israel, and he says, Genesis 32.10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant." For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. If you want to read the story of Jacob, it's basically, well, in its entirety, you would start in Genesis 25 and go through chapter 50. Of Genesis. That's how big it is. 25 chapters. There's only one chapter, maybe one and a half, given to creation. (laughs) And Jacob has 25 chapters. Takes him all the way, chapter 50 takes him all the way up to to his final words to Joseph, his son. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. You've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is Jacob who was the father of 12 sons. And these 12 sons had families. Those families became tribes. And in Genesis 32, it says Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so you have the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why he's so important to the history of the Bible. And Jacob is an example of what it means to be chosen by God. If you want to know what election looks like, you start in chapter 25. uh, Paul, in Romans 9, comments on the electing grace of God by uh, how God chose Jacob over Esau. And he says he chose Jacob, this is Romans 9, 10 to 13, before either one of them had done good or evil. So that you would know what it means to be elected by grace, not works. How much do you owe grace from the time you were born, before you were born, before you had time to do good or evil. Somebody said, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born because he would never have chosen me afterwards. And I've been reading the book of Genesis and we've been praying that God would prosper us and we have a vision of a children's building So, God, we need money for that. 
So I want to share with you today how it is that God prospered Jacob. Because our text, the verse we began with, says that he left home with nothing but a staff, clothes on his back, a shepherd's staff. But when he returned 20 years later, he had two camps. And this word camp, the Hebrew word, he's not talking about a Boy Scout camp. This word camp is translated in 1 Samuel 17 as army. I've got two armies with me now. It's used in Exodus 14.20 when it says a pillar of fire came between the camp of the Egyptian army and the camp of the Israelite army. So these are, it's not a little small group. This is a huge camp with all the servants and all of the, the animals and everything you can imagine. And he's got two of them. So much. He's got so many uh, children and, and, uh, and animals and possessions that you can't get them all into one space. You have to have two huge army camps. So that's pretty good. From a staff to two campfuls. He's we go back though to how he came to this and we find that he leaves home because his parents did not want him to marry a Canaanite. A pagan. So they sent him up to some of her relatives. I'm not sure that was an improvement when you read the story, but he went east, and when he got there, he saw a young lady coming toward him herding sheep. Her name was Rachel. And when he sees her, she is so beautiful, this is in chapter 29 11, that he looks at her and bursts out weeping. Now, here's a clue on dating methods. I'm no expert, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's not the way to win a woman's heart. <laughs> Break down crying? No. And then you know what he does? Runs up and kisses her. Again, <laughs> no, not a, good, not a good approach. Reminds me of when I pastored in Texas, I had a good friend, and he wanted to date this lady in our church. He, he saw her in the, worship, in the worship service. He said, oh, man. He said, is she single? I said, yeah, she is. He said, can I, would you see if you can arrange a date? So I did. I said, yeah, I'm sure she'd be glad to go out with you. So they went out, and he came home later that night. He was spending a few days with us. Uh, he pastored in Canada. I was in Texas. And I said, how would it go? And he said, really bad, really bad. You're going to get a phone call. I said, what? <laughs> and, he, and I said, what did you do? He said, I asked her to marry me. I said, you asked her to marry you? <laughs> said, man, it's a first date. She's never met you before. And moved to Canada. He asked her to marry it and moved to Canada on the first date. I'm like, whoa, man, you need some counsel. <laughs> so Jacob sees Rebecca and 
starts crying and kissing on her. Well, she introduces him. She's evidently taken with him as well because she introduces him to her father, Laban. And Jacob says, I'll tell you what I will do. I, I will work seven long years for the privilege of your daughter's hand in marriage. And Laban is a manipulator, and he says, I'll take that. So Jacob worked seven years, and it says, the text says that it was like nothing to him because he loved her so much. Ah. That night, when it comes time to be, to receive his bride, the father-in-law slips the homely sister who's older into his tent and he's evidently been drinking because he doesn't know the difference and he wakes up the next morning and he was expecting Rachel and behold it's Leah and he rushes out of the tent to up to Laban and says what have you done to me and he said well you can't give the the youngest daughter to, in marriage before you give the oldest one so I gave you the oldest one now work another seven years and give you the younger one now I think what they did is they, they, he, he agreed to that and, and they had a week of celebration and at the end of that seven days he gave a Rachel but then he had to work seven years after so I think he got both of them in one week but nonetheless he worked 14 years for two wives And you thought dating was hard today. So Laban comes to him after he has worked for 14 years for these two women. And Laban comes to him, the father-in-law, and says, You know what? You're a good worker. I have prospered since you've been here. And what can I do to get you to stay? So Jacob... This is, look at chapter 30. This is chapter 30 and verse 31. Um, He said, Laban says, what shall I give you? And Jacob says, don't give me anything. I'm not asking for a handout here. But he says, do this for me. Verse 32, let me pass through all of your flock and I'll remove every speckled and spotted sheep and black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats will be my wages. I'll keep all your sheep, but let me have, but for my own property, the speckled sheep and the black sheep. Now, black sheep are basically about one out of a hundred. So very low percentage. And the speckled sheep are also called a piebald, like pie and bald, They're also called Jacob's sheep from this story. Um, They're very rare, and I got this off the internet, and you know it's always true on the internet. But here's what it says. Uh, The piebald, or Jacob's sheep, is a threatened species, and in 2009, only 5,000 were known to exist in the world. About 1,000 in the United States, and 5,000 across the world. So very rare species and Jacob said look you let me have the speckled ones and I'll count that as mine you take the solid colors 
So he's saying, give me that which is so rare that it'll take the blessing of God to make me prosper. Look at chapter 30 and verse 35. But that day that they made the agreement, chapter 30, verse 35, Laban, the father-in-law, removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, all the female that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white, every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons, verse 36, and put them a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. (laughs) So Laban, in greed, went, sent his sons out, gathered up all the speckled ones, as rare as they were, and sent them a three-day journey away so that when Jacob now goes out to get claim his property, one in a hundred, one in five hundred, there are none. And he's like, I, knew, I know there was some here yesterday. Where'd they all go? Well, his sons took them three days' journey. So Laban's a trickster. Here's what God told him to do. It's one of the strangest stories in the Bible. He cut some trees. This is uh, in uh, chapter 30, and beginning in verse 37, he cut some trees, stripped off the bark, so that when the sheep or the goats came to water, and they would be satisfied with the water, they would then breed. But he put these, these sticks with the strapped bark in front of the, the breeding sheep and it produced striped speckled sheep. That's what it says. And so, because he had the agreement, here's what it says in verse 43 of chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 43. So the man increased greatly and had large flocks female servants and male servants, camels and donkeys. He had the rarest breed and increased greatly. Strange story in the Bible. He stays 20 years and decides to return home. Now let me show you something in chapter 31. In chapter 31, beginning in verse 4, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah in the field where his flock was and said, I see that your father does not regard me with favor like he did. But the God of my father has been with me, verse 5. You see that? Chapter 31, verse 5. And he says, you know, verse 6, you know I've served your father with all my strength, but your father has cheated me. He changed my wages ten times. Uh, It doesn't mean he changed them up. It says, God, though, did not permit him to harm me. There's actually two expressions of Jacob's prosperity here. There's two ways God prospered him. Let me give you this before I get to my points. One is when it says that God was with him. That is, he blessed him. The God of my father has been with me. 
The other is in verse 7 when he says, Your father cheated me and changed my wages, but God did not permit him to harm me. That is, that's a defensive posture. God blesses us, prospers us by two manners. One is he actually does things for us. Uh, we, I've heard uh, testimonies recently of uh, people who last year, as they sought to follow the Lord and do His will, um, God blessed them. Incomes would double and triple and, and even more. And uh, God might lead you to a, a great purchase. I was reminded of uh, years ago at Bristol Road location, we had a couple who just become Christians. I baptized both uh, the man and the wife. And uh, uh, he, their lifestyle had been pretty rugged, and so they had a lot of debts. And now they had become Christians, and they prayed to God. And they won a brand-new Jeep. And they sold that Jeep and paid off all their debts. Now, that's what you call a positive intervention. That's blessing, things God does for you, unexpected surprises from your Heavenly Father. The other thing, though, is defensive and keeps bad things from happening to you. You see this in verse 7. God did not permit him to harm me. He not only blessed me with these speckled sheep, but he kept Laban from taking them and other bad things from happening. So God not only does some things that are visible and tangible, and you can see them and count them, but he does some things that are invisible and intangible, and you don't even know about them because they're bad things that didn't happen to you. So it's both protective and it's defensive, positive and negative. You see this idea uh, in the book of Malachi on the subject of tithing. Uh, Show us uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 here. Let me show you this. This is the same thing. He says, Bring the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and put me to the test, says the Lord. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. See how blessing comes. By the way, that's the... The other place that that is used in the Old Testament is when God opened the windows of heaven and sent rain in the time of Noah's flood. So this is a lot of blessing. He says, See if, test me on it. See if I won't pour you out a blessing. Now that's the positive, that's the tangible. But look at the next verse. And he says, and here's something else. I will rebuke the devourer. Things that would come in and steal the blessing. Because God can give you a blessing, but if something devours it, then what's the point? So he does that which is visible and intervention of blessing, and he does that which is invisible and intangible. The other day I was going down the Bristol Road, and I I was about five seconds behind this car, where someone had run a red light and T-boned them. I thought, you know, if I had been five seconds earlier, that would have been me. But God protected me. 
How many things, and we ought to praise him for this. We ought to praise him in faith because we don't know. But how many things has God protected you from that you don't even know? He protected you. So it never happened. Maybe an accident that never happened. Or a bill, an insurance issue that they wouldn't pay. Something that he kept back which would have devoured the blessing. Maybe, maybe it's a, a girl or a boy that you wanted to meet and they weren't interested in you and God's keeping you from meeting them and liking them or them liking you. He saved you from a lifetime of misery. Hallelujah. <laughs> Y'all better pay attention. One is, one is known, the other is unknown. Let, let me come back to this breeding method for just a moment. Because what's going on here? There's all kind of... <laughs> The commentaries have a field day on this. They don't know what to do with this. Uh, Some good commentaries have said that that actually works, that that we don't know everything about shepherding, and that if you do that, you will actually produce uh, uh, striped sheep. Most don't agree with that. Some have said this is just superstition, and Moses, when he's writing this, is just accommodating the superstitious minds of the day. Nah, I don't believe that either. The key is in chapter 31, verse 10. Here's what what Jacob says. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see this. I know what Laban is doing to you. You see, God came to him in a dream and pointed out to him what he was to do. Okay? Now this is, I'm telling you how to prosper. And here's how you do it. Here's one of the things that Jacob did. He heard God speak and he obeyed him. God told him, he said, God said, I know what's going on here. Let me tell you something. If if God had said, here are two pink sheep, mate them and they'll produce a blue one, and he obeyed God, God would have blessed it. It's not the method. It's the faith and obedience in God. You can't go out and reproduce this. This is the problem I have with a lot of self-help books. Some guy came along, God blessed him and helped him, and then he goes and says, you know, that'll work for everybody. If they'll just do what I did, then they'll have what I have. That's not true. It's the same way with church growth and churches in general. If we will just do what they do, then we'll have what they have. It's not true. What is it that's true? What's at the core of it? It's the blessing of God because you followed what He told you to do in your life and in that situation. It's totally unique to you and customized. Your plan, God's plan for your prosperity is customized 
to your situation and spiritual level. So this is what he told Jacob. Jacob followed it. Uh, let me give you this verse. This is Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. The importance of following God's promptings here. Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit. He teaches you. How? And who leads you in the way you should go. Amen. He leads you in the way you should go. And in this manner is how he, how he leads you to profit. It's not it's surrounding yourself with spiritual or count, uh, financial advisors or making key decisions in the stock market, jumping in when it's timely. The key is he teaches you to profit. He'll tell you what to do, when to do it. And like Jacob here, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. If, can you imagine Jacob asking somebody, you know, I think God will bless me financially if I will get this tree and cut the bark off of one side and set it up in front of where the sheep breed. Oh, yeah, that sounds like great ideas. So here's, here's general principles for prosperity. Let me give you these. Number one, I believe this, as you look at this, that God does want us to prosper. Now these are general ideas, but I believe God wants to prosper His people. Listen to this verse. Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven. This is the King James Version. Let the Lord be magnified, which takes pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Hallelujah! Are you a father or a mother? Do you take pleasure in the success and advancement of your children? So does God in you. Now, by the way, that's the King James Version. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. (laughs) <laughs> the English Standard Version says he takes, he's happy at the welfare of his servant. Not a good translation, I don't think. God doesn't want us on welfare. He'll help us get off of it. But he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, why does he do this? Because he, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, Jacob is in the line of Abraham. What is the Abrahamic line? Here's what God told Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country and kindred and father's house to a land I will show you, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And see, that's the direction. It comes from God. Why? So you'll be a blessing. So I have to have health in order to visit someone who's sick. I have to have knowledge in order to teach someone who's ignorant. I have to have money in order to help the church build a children's building. I will bless you so you will be a blessing. Now, that line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
It's the same promise God made to Jacob. Genesis 28, 14, to Jacob, he says, I'll give you this land, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I'm going to give you this, now you're going to be a blessing. So he is in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's Jacob. So when we get into that stream of understanding the purpose of blessing, I think we can expect prosperity. God wants to prosper you, not so you can uh, uh, retire early and live in a big mansion with servants everywhere and be on uh, TV's Stories of the Rich and Famous, but so that you can help those who are hurting. I will bless you and you'll be a blessing. So I think that is what's behind uh, Jacob here. God wants to prosper his people because he wants to bless the nations. Here's a second thing. It's not the methods of prosperity. It's not even... um, Give me that second one up here. It's, It's not even the employer. You know, some of you have employers. Hey... Read about Laban. Man, that guy was awful. He, he lowered his wages ten times, and there were no unions, there were no strikes. God's favor is the basis of prosperity. Not your employer, not your employment, not the method that you use. It comes from God. So what should you do? Pray to God. Seek Him. Deuteronomy 8, 17. Beware lest you say, it's my power and the might of my hand that got me this wealth. Remember the Lord your God, for He gives you power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Remember the Lord your God. He gives you power to get wealth. Then one final thing that I just gleaned out of these stories as I'm going through uh, uh, Jacob. Give me that third one up. And that is that we must learn to follow his personal promptings in order to prosper. Can you give me the third one there? God will lead us to do things. And I give you, I, I, I remind you of that verse earlier, Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. I'm the Lord who teaches you to profit and lead you in the way you should go. There's a way you should go. And like he prompted Jacob with the dream and showed him how to, what to do. And Jacob said, you know what? I'm going to do what God said. And God blessed that. Not because there's anything necessarily in the means or the method, but there was something in the obedience and in the faith. And God blessed it. Guidance is necessary for prosperity. What should I do? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I look for another job? Should I stay with this job? Should I go to, back to school? Those are all things, thought, learning to follow the promptings of God. Some of y'all, in fact, probably most of y'all know that we, uh, this was about <clears throat> 10, 11 years ago, 
uh, took on a $1.5 million debt. And then the recession hit. And so the, the uh, GM even, I think that was when GM filed bankruptcy. It was right in that same period. And so obviously our church suffered, and we went to the bank. They let us pay interest only. They said, we can do this for a while, but, you know, it can't go on forever. There was a man there. Uh, he had a title of vice president, but I think there's a lot of vice presidents in the banks. But I know he was an influential man in the bank, and he tried to help us, but he was professional. And uh, one day, uh, Tammy, who is our youth director, a lot of y'all kn- uh, knew Tammy, she's now in another church, but but she was our youth director at the time, and she said, uh, she called me and said, uh, this man, this our loan officer at the bank, his son has had a seizure, and they're not sure he's even going to live. And uh, he was about eight or nine years old, and she said to me, I think we should go up and pray for him, pray for that little boy. Well, I knew the the man, and I said, Tammy, he's Roman Catholic. I'm not sure how he's going to take with two charismatic Baptists going in, laying hands on his son, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I think he might react to that. You know, we're the lot of our future is in his hands. She said, I'm telling you, I feel like we should. I think God wants us to do that. Now, this little boy... They weren't sure he would make it through the night. I, I forget the name of it, uh, but, but I remember that they said he might not make it, and if he did, he would be brain damaged. So when we went up, and I took the anointing oil with me, and we walked in, and there was this distraught father, and he looked up and he saw me. He knew I was, of course, a pastor. He knew Tammy. And he, and he got up. He was very courteous and, and uh, seemed genuinely glad to see us. And Tammy said, may we lay hands on your little boy and pray for him? And he said, yes, please. And we did. And I don't remember if it was the next day or... Within 48 hours, I am telling you, that little boy recovered totally. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? That didn't hurt. And that banker said to me later, he said, I want you to know, I went to bat for this church. For you and this church, I put my career on the line for you. Now that came because someone had a prompting and followed it. It wasn't something that, it it was a little uncomfortable. It got us out of our comfort zone. I'm kind of a people pleaser type. I I don't like to mess with people. Now Tammy, she'd go in and pray for the sick, raise the dead. Cast out demons. I'm like, let's let the demons alone for a little bit. 
Let the dead lie. They're happy. (laughs) But man, I'm glad we went and followed the prompting. I'm the one who teaches you to profit. And before it was over, led partly by this man, they wrote off over a million dollars of our loan. I will teach you. Following the way I'm telling you to go. And I'm telling you, Jacob, I want you to get some trees, cut the bark off of it, and stick them down at the water trough of those sheep. That's the way I want you to go. Jacob said, okay, all right. Larry, I want you to go over there and pray for that professional, yuppie-type young man in whose hands is the future of your church. Pray for his son. We win. What's God telling you to do? Well, here's what I think he may be saying, and that is, write us a check for the children's building, okay? (laughs) Amen. Because why is there blessing? Some of you have money in the bank. There, There are people who are scraping the bottom of the barrel to make sacrificial gifts. And some of you could write a check for $10,000. I'm asking you, we're going to have people at the door with pledge cards. Let us know what you feel like God's prompting you to do. I'm not asking you to do something I ask you to do. Do what God asks you to do. And see how your future unfolds. Amen. Let's pray together. Nick, get uh, have some of those cards and people at each door, if you would, please. And let's just ask God to guide us here. Lord, what would you have us do? And it may not be even anything has to do with this church, but Heavenly Father, I pray today that you will take charge of our finances. I pray you will teach us how to profit. We, we don't know how. I pray you will teach us. And help us to follow in the way you would lead us. And may I pray this day, those who follow you, I pray. Though they may have come in with but a staff in their hand, may they leave with two armies full of blessing, provision, and possessions. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.